If you're ready to study the scriptures, get your Bible out and turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2.20, and that's where we're going to start out today. As you know, we're in a series called Alive and Free, and it's really, we could say it this way, as believers, we come alive in Christ, we are resurrected into a new life in Him, but there are many believers that I know who don't live free, and so I don't want you to just be alive in Christ, I want you to be truly free in Him. And so, uh, I, I think this series is about understanding what freedom is and how it functions in our lives. So we're kind of unpacking that over the last few weeks and over the next few weeks we'll continue. And so um, this is the premise of the series. Could it be that freedom is not the absence of something but the presence of someone? And if that is true, then freedom is is different than we imagine it. And so today, we're going to go a little further. Last week, we talked about um, spiritual activity, about demons, and about being influenced by them, and the the fact that there's a a war going on in in the alternative reality of the spirit world that impacts us and affects us. If you missed that, you can go back and see it online on the video podcast. But today, we're going to talk about uh, Galatians 2.20. And we're going to talk about what I've titled the message as going beyond dirty diaper Christianity. (laughs) Beyond dirty diaper Christianity. Let's read Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, Paul says, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by Faith. I live by what? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the Apostle Paul and he is identifying, he's describing something that is so rich with meaning. There is such depth in what he's talking about, it takes time to unpack it. And so we really have to, we really have to kind of zero in. What is he talking about when he says, I've been crucified, I've given up my life, I've nailed my old life to the tree, to the cross, as Jesus was nailed to the cross, and now I no longer live. I no longer live. What does that mean? How does that work? But it is Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in this body, I'm living By faith. By believing in something. And so as we as we unpack this, the first thing I want you to understand is our life is something that that comes from not from ourselves, not from our mothers. For the believer, our life comes from the one we believe in. As believers, we've given up the living of our lives. We've given up living our lives on our own in the way that we think is best or the way that we think is right, and we live by the faith of Jesus Christ, the Son of God who loves us. His love begins to define our life. We're not just living our life the best we can. It's, it's not Jesus died for you, so you should try really hard to live for him. That's pressure. That's some kind of weird external 
pressure that comes on us. And, and many of us as Christians, as believers, we do sort of adopt this. We come to him. We're so grateful for him taking care of our past and taking care of our history and, and washing our hearts and our minds and our lives clean. And we feel new and light. But then, then we, we somehow adopt this way of thinking that says, all right, Jesus, you gave your life for me. Now I'm going to make my life really count for you. And I'm going to do my best. And I'm going to try really hard to live like you did. And then we fail, and then we repent, and then we try again, and then we come back, and then we, we, and we try really hard to make this work. And, and so in the, in the form of Jesus, right, he told a lot of parables, and he told parables about the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. I'd like to introduce an idea to you, that the kingdom of heaven is like potty training, That the kingdom of heaven is like potty training. I thought this was a perfect message for Mother's Day because it is true for me, for my house. I have changed my share of diapers, but the vast majority of diapers have been changed by my sweet, amazing, incredible, very intelligent and wise, super smart, um, just incredible woman that I married. I'm married up. She has changed countless diapers. Five children, three or four a day for several years, two to seven years. <laughs> two to seven years old. Two to seven years old. It was, it was, she, she did that. She did that over probably 15 years, right? 15 years. Okay, I don't know what that math is. I didn't do it, but it is thousands and thousands of stinky diapers. And I, I, I just want to say thank you. Thanks, babe. Because that... She said, my pleasure. I, I don't believe you, but... But I'm grateful for you nonetheless. Um, that you that you did it and you did it willingly and and you loved our kids so much that uh, you didn't leave them in their stinky diapers and whenever you did you felt guilty. <laughs> Every young mom feels guilty when they leave their kids longer than they think they should have in their dirty diaper. And so, as we talk about freedom, what we have to talk about is change. Change. We're going to talk about five levels of change that we go through today. Five levels of change. And, and, but what I think happens to us is we see change as a linear process instead of something that is a, a leap into another idea. When we change dirty diapers, here's what happens. We change the diaper and then it changes itself back. Then we change the diaper, and then it changes back again to a dirty diaper. Then we change it, and back and forth, and back, and dirty diaper, and clean diaper, and dirty diaper, and clean diaper, and, and we just constantly, and I think many Christians see Jesus as their diaper changer, because some days they're doing good, some days they're doing bad. Some days they're good. 
Some other days are bad. Some weeks are good. Some weeks are just awful. Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. What a mess I've made. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you clean up our messes. Could I suggest to you today that Jesus is interested in cleaning up the messes of your life? He wants to. That is his desire. But there is so much more that he wants for you and me. There's so much more he has for us. And so as we talk about levels of change, we have to understand that there's a, there's a, it, we're talking about change that is not just linear and I'm doing this thing and I'm trying to do better. We're talking about a way of changing that, that, that is a, a paradigm shift. When you, when you change that many diapers, there is a day that comes to your home. It is a day when you no longer have to buy diapers. It is a day when they're no longer, you're no longer worried they're not going to make it. Where you don't have to bring all the accoutrements in the car or the van and to every single outing that you have. So financially, it is an incredible blessing. In terms of time and energy, it is incredible, an incredible blessing. And there is this moment when everyone in your house is potty trained. Hey, hey, it's another dimension. It is another dimension for the children and another dimension for the family. Because what happens at potty training is they no longer need the diapers. Now, the diapers were useful, right? There was nothing wrong with, with them pooping their diapers. Now, if they end up being 14 and still wearing diapers, it, you know what that That means there's another problem, typically, right? And, and you have to address that problem. So what we, have, what we have here is a transcendent level of change. Yeah. Training wheels does the same thing. Your kid is, you put training wheels on their bike and they're like, oh, I don't know if I trust these training wheels. And then they turn really sharp and the bike goes over. And they're like, I don't trust those training wheels. And then they keep going and keep going. They training wheels, training wheels. They get used to it. They're balancing. And, and suddenly the day comes. Take the training wheels off. And there is a freedom for that kid that they had never known. And typically, you remember that the rest of your life. This is the kind of change that Jesus has in mind for you and me. This kind of change that, that takes you to a, a new level where it has power over the level that you were before. So the first level of change that people deal with often is their environments. They're trying to change their environment. People think this way. They say, if I only I had a better job. <laughs> if, only, if only I had married a different spouse. If only I was from a, diff- a, a, a better family. If only I had a prettier nose. If only I had a flat tummy. Then things would be different. Then I could really change. Maybe, if I, just, maybe I need to move to a new city. Maybe I, need to, maybe I just need to go to a new church. Here's the problem. Wherever you go, you take you with you. <laughs> Wherever you go, you're taking you with you to that place. And, and so your problems suddenly materialize again. 
even though you've changed your environment. Changing something external is not the solution. Changing something inside is the solution. Something that goes on in here. The Apostle Paul was in a prison cell as he wrote most of the New Testament. The bars were not chaining him. The chains were not causing him a lack of freedom. He had freedom that we read about and desire for our own lives. He was in, he was in a cell but had freedom that some of us only dream about. What, could, could it be true that Jesus wants that same freedom for you and me? It is true. So circumstances cannot change our freedom. Why? Why is it true that circumstances... Because what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is... That means he's not constrained by environments. Wherever you are and he's with you, there's freedom. If we look around historically at things like the Nazi concentration camps of World War II... And we read The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom, or we, or we consider Anne Frank, or we consider any of those stories, just amazing stories of people resisting their captors. Even though they were in a concentration camp, they were experiencing a freedom that their captors could not control. That's, that's a very real idea. It's the idea that Jesus came for. So that leads us then, of course, to a, a second level of change, once you figure out that your environment isn't the key, then you, you, you switch to behaviors and you start dealing with your own behaviors. And a lot of, and this is, this is kind of where we are. You know you're in church because we're going to talk about your bad behavior. Because too many people focus on our behaviors. And our behaviors come this thing that we get fixated on and it messes with us. It, it causes us not to yield to the life that Jesus has for us because we pull our eyes down to the way we act. Because here's the problem. Behaviors are connected to something. Actions are, be- are connected to your thoughts and your feelings. So if you take your, your activities, your behaviors, and your thoughts and your feelings and you put them together in a little triangle, right? You're always trying to act differently, but sometimes you don't feel like it. And if your feelings are super powerful, then they override your behaviors. Yeah. Happens all the time. Your mind, I want to, I, I know I should do the right thing. Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 7. I know I want to do this. I want to do the right thing, but there's a war that's going on within me. And he asks, who's going to save me from this war? Because what happens when you're when you're dealing with these thoughts and feelings, emotions that are really powerful, and behaviors, they're sort of warring against each other. They're arm, they're sort of, you're sort of arm wrestling your mind to do the right thing. Your emotions are out of whack, but in your mind you know you, what you should do, or your mind is thinking incorrectly. Your emotions are under control, but you just... You have behaviors you can't control. You arm wrestle yourself over and over again. This is kind of what counseling often gets hung up on. I I am for counseling. I think it's good. I think it's helpful. But because it it helps us see things differently. But 
but, but counseling is not really what Jesus had in mind when he came. All right? There's something called cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay? Cogn- so the way you think starts to work with your behaviors, and, and then you, you do better. All right? to, to transform the way you think. There's also something called rational emotive therapy. All right? These are <laughs> rational and emotive in the same sentence. Kind of crazy. It, it means if you think correctly, your emotions will be correct. Really? <laughs> I've, I, I mean, I'm, I, I've lived some life, and I can tell you that disconnect happens all the time. So it's like a wrestling match, and you're arm wrestling yourself. You're arm res- what happens when you arm wrestle yourself? Who wins? Yet you win, but you also lose. So you lose. You're just you're arm wrestling yourself. No, stop. Yes, no, do it now. Ah! Who's, and what Apostle Paul said is, who's going to save me from this? This is a horrible process, a horrible journey. And he said, praise be to God through Jesus Christ, who has saved me from the law of sin and death, and saved me with the spirit of life. John 10.10 says, if the, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come so that you would have life and life to the full. This is not the kind of life Jesus had for you. He wants something more than dirty diaper, clean diaper, dirty diaper, clean diaper, dirty diaper, clean diaper, I feel good, I feel bad. He wants something more for you. I think about the stupid cycle. You know what the stupid cycle is? This is a great, you should take this, you should use this. You know, now don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. There's one in every crowd. Has anybody in the room ever done anything stupid? Okay. No matter how much I say don't raise your hand, they just do. If you've ever done something stupid, here's what happens. You do something stupid, and then you think to yourself, stupid. I'm so stupid. And then you feel really stupid. So when you act stupid, and then you think you're stupid, and then you feel really stupid, what are the odds that you're going to make a smart decision? Very low. It's a a mess. And and, and here's the thing. Counseling puts you in this sometimes. Here's Here's the bad news. So does religion. So does religion. It keeps revolving around your behaviors and you're trying to wrestle yourself and you're doing, there's something greater. There's a higher level of change than just trying to change your behaviors. Right? Your behaviors should change, right? But there's a higher level. That brings us to something called capabilities. Capabilities are skills that you, that you develop. You begin to learn from the scripture or you begin to learn from other places. And, and, and we work hard and we start to try to develop these skills. And as we develop these skills, here's what happens. As we develop these skills, the pressure gets heavier. Because we know some things now, we we have skills that we're working on, and as we exert energy in those skills, the pressure to conform to what was increases. Here's an example. your, Your heart is like a thermostat. What does a thermostat do? A thermostat 
controls another mechanism. And so what we often find is that as we develop things, our environments, our behaviors, we're we're starting to work on these skills, and the temperature begins to rise in our circumstances, our situations, our decision-making, because we know what we should do. We're trying to do the right thing, and as the temperature rises, what's really in our heart, what is historically in our heart, what what our experiences tell us makes us nervous, and it kicks on, and it says, nope, I can't keep doing that. I need this. I need, I need drugs. I need sex. I need to escape. I need, right? And, 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 and something inside you is, creates that thermostat that causes it, this thing to kick on because of your environment. So the problem is you can't develop enough skills to live like Jesus wanted you to live. It's called religion. If you've ever, have you ever dieted? You know, you know dieting? It's like, what's, what's up with dieting? It like, seems like so simple. Just, it's so hard to be on a diet and eat regular food too. It's like, that, it's like that saying, you know, you eat like a king at breakfast and then like a prince for lunch and then you eat like a pauper for dinner. But about 10 o'clock at night, I hear that voice inside my little head saying, long live the king. <laughs> and I want to eat like a king again. It doesn't, it doesn't work. We, here's what happens. We may increase capability... All right, we may increase our skills, but what happens is internally we, it creates conflict. And we either, it either creates a, a conflict that causes us to get discouraged or it creates arrogance because we think we're so good at it now. Yeah. I'm really good at this religion thing. I'm doing the right things. That kind of freedom is short-lived. It will chain you. It will bind you. It will control you. Here's what Paul said. He said, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. You can write this scripture down. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. He said that he heard Jesus say to him, all right? Jesus said this to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. It's not, it's not about skills. It's about realizing and yielding to God's power and then he said, so I, so I make a big deal out of my weaknesses. Like, I, I rejoice in the struggle. I, 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 make, I make sure that my weaknesses are very clearly stated and very, very obvious so that God's power can rest on me. And here's what Paul was doing. He was leading us to our fourth level of change, and that is beliefs. This is a pivotal level because... Because it deals with what's inside you versus what's in your head or in your feelings or in your behaviors. So if you look at these four things, these are four things that you and I can control to some level. The next level is something you and I don't control. And that's good news for you and me. Just It'll make sense when we get there. So I want you to think about the difference between thoughts and beliefs. Often churches have a statement of belief 
but really they're just a list of thoughts. Because here's, here's the difference. Your thoughts often, they are, uh, they're, they're expressible because they, they, they um, connect to language, right? So you can think thoughts, but they form as language in your head, and those thoughts then can be expressed, and then as you express them, you can change them, right? They're actually pretty easy to change once you have a new thought, there are, it is always a woman's prerogative to change her mind. <laughs> to change her mind. But, and that's pretty easy to do because of the way thoughts work. But here's the problem. Beliefs are something deeper. And often, they're just, it's just a sense of something. You're, you're actually not even aware of it sometimes. You're unaware of your beliefs. And they come out at moments of crisis. Moments of struggle. And as it comes out, you, you recognize it, you see it, and, and you know, um, there's, a, there's a moment when you realize, this. why am I acting this way? And your belief is what's leading you to react. The illustration would be a young man who was living distanced from his father. His father always held him at arm's length. And as the dad holds this young man at arm's length, he grows up wanting his love, wanting to be embraced, and yet feels rejected. It's how he, was, it's how he grew up. It's his environment the whole way through. And so there's really no way for him to know, at least at first, that these are rational responses. This is just the way things are. And so he grows up thinking somehow or subtly believing that men are going to reject him. And he keeps searching for someone, a man who will love him. And he feels rejected. So every man, every older man he meets, he's, he's like coming with this rejection within his heart and he's hoping that he will be received from an older man. But as he comes to him, he's like super awkward because he already feels rejected before it even happens. And then the guy who he meets, who's older, realizes something's really wrong with this guy. And, and, and he's, you know, he's trying to get a job or he's trying to meet somebody at church or he's trying to, and there's this thing that kind of guides his life. And so what happens is it's self-fulfilling prophecy and the old man goes, man, that guy's got problems. That guy's got issues. And he doesn't get the job or he doesn't make friends easily. or he does. He's not even aware, possibly, that this is how he sees the world. And often these core beliefs are the thing that lead us astray. Sometimes we try to take the Bible and we take the thoughts and replace our other thoughts that are bad. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but that doesn't change your beliefs all the time. And the way you see that is you watch people and how they live. They may say that they believe in sex only within the context of marriage, but when push comes to shove and they're, you know, they feel like they love this person and this relationship is really seems to be progressing, that they don't actually believe what the Bible says about that. That it's just fine to have sex outside of marriage. Sure got quiet in the Methodist church here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? There's a belief that is deep 
And, and what the scripture teaches us in Proverbs 23 is, it says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so that's who he is. That's who he really is. Which is also why it says in Proverbs that we should above all things guard our heart, for out of it flow all the issues of life. Everything you do flows from it. This is the center where everything has to be decided. So the real question is, what is the source of our beliefs? What is the source of your beliefs? What do you actually believe? In American Christianity, their poll has gone out. Do you believe in God? That's the question. Do you believe in God? And like a massive number of people, yeah, I believe in God. 75, 80%, up to 90% over the last many years. The wrong question. The question that we must ask is, what do you believe about God? What do you believe about God? And the second question is equally as important. You can write it down on your notes. What do you believe about yourself? These are the two most important questions you can answer. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about yourself? You either believe that God's a big mean guy waiting to strike you, or you believe he's a big Santa Claus, or you believe that he's a father, and that's bad news to you because your dad was so bad to you. We put all kinds of faces on God, and what we have to do is we have to allow God to speak to us and tell us who he is through the scripture, by the spirit, through the encouragement of the community around us, because this is what's going to transform us. Let me give you an example to to close, because we're not going to make it through the whole outline. We'll do do the the next part next week, okay? I know that's going to kill some of you. You want to finish. You just want to check the box, And that's why I'm doing it to you. (laughs) Because, because the, because here, here's, here's what it looks like. Much of the material over this freedom series is coming from, uh, from Gateway Church in, in Dallas, Texas. They're, they're friends of ours. And and so we're, we're, I'm, I'm teaching a lot of material from a pastor who's been in charge of their, um, freedom ministry. And he tells this story and I want to tell it to you. He met a woman who came to him and she said, I know it's too late for me, but I want you to help my son. I want you to help him. And I think you can help him. But, but he, his ears perked up and he said, now what do you mean it's too late for you? He said, because what I believe is because of the cross of Jesus, it's never too late. This is never too late. As long as you're breathing, there is still opportunity and hope for you and me. Okay, really, it's true. And so, and so she, she, she said, I, I, I'm so depressed. I, I have been living depressed for a long time, and my son is just starting to show signs of depression, and I, I need him to be helped. It's too late for me because I've been waking up. She began to describe the process. I, I wake up uh, every morning with horrible thoughts of myself, horrible thoughts about life, a terrible idea of what the day is going to be like. It's uncontrollable and it's so bad. I'm so tired because I've stayed up half the night and so I take sleeping pills to get more sleep. And so I sleep the morning until about one o'clock in the afternoon and my husband and my kids have gone to work and to school and, and then finally I kind of get myself together and I, and, and I we, we do something with dinner and, and I settle into a chair for the rest of the night and I watch bad TV till late at night 
till 1 a.m. in the morning, and then I try to go to sleep again. And at that moment that she was telling him that, she'd already been in that situation for 11 years. 11 years. It's amazing how easy it is for all of us to get into a cycle that we can't break out of it. Jesus wants to break you out of whatever cycle you're in right now. That's got guilt and condemnation and struggle and depression, whatever it is. There is freedom for you. And so he began to inquire more and, and, and he began to say, well, I, you know, I believe what is in here. And as he began to quote some scriptures, you're a new creation. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He, he was quoting these scriptures and, he, and she kind of slammed it down on the, on the desk and he, she said, I know it's in there, but that's not the truth for me. It's not my experience. This is how many of us act. We may not even articulate it that way. We may not even be able to, but when it comes, when push comes to shove, there is a different belief deep within our, our souls, and it comes from our experience. It comes from our wounds. It comes from our hurts. It says this is the truth because there's no change in it. And they began to talk a little bit more, and she, she said, why didn't anybody tell me this? Why aren't people telling me about, why, why if, if there's help so readily available, then why doesn't it happen to me? So he, he gave her a little handout, and it was a whole list that I'm going to send to all of you who want it. If you're on the email list, I'm going to send it out today or tomorrow. And it's a list of who, it's, the title is, Who I Am in Christ. And it was all the scriptures about who you are and who I am. And he gave that to her, and he said, why don't you go home, and you read some of this, and you just pray over it, and then I'll see you in two weeks. You come back to the office, and we'll, we'll continue. So he sent her home, and two weeks later, he's ready for her to come to the office, and she doesn't show up. And he thinks to himself, okay, I know what's happened. She's fallen off the wagon, and she really needs help. This is going to be harder than I thought. So she, he calls her, and when he calls her, she answers the phone, and she's out of breath. <sighs> She, and so he says, so, hey, how you doing? And she says, I'm doing all right. And uh, he said, you know, we were supposed to meet today. And she's like, oh, is that today? I forgot about that. I've been so busy cleaning my garage. I just totally forgot. He's like, uh, cleaning your garage? And she's like, yeah. When you don't clean anything for 11 years, there's a lot of stuff. So I've been like cleaning the house and cleaning the garage and doing all, I mean, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. And, 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 and so he says, he says, well, why don't we just make an appointment for next week and you can come on in. And, uh, and, and she said, do I, do I have to come in? Do I really have to come in? And he's like, well, yeah, you, you, you should. <laughs> Great man of faith and power that he is. And she says, why? Why do we need to come in? And he's like, well, you might get depressed. <laughs> she said, oh, I'm not going to get depressed. He said, really? Why is that? And she said these words to him. She said, because I heard God speak to me 
heard him speak to me through these scriptures. She had known about the scriptures, but she said, I heard God speak to me, and that's all I needed. Her source of conviction changed from what her experience was to God speaking into her heart and it transforming her. And Bob talks about how she continued to be in that community and eight years later, he sees her in a grocery store and she's doing great. Something can happen like that to lift you to a new level of freedom by believing that the source of all that you are and all, all that you really need and the life that you're trying to live is only found in Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about next week because the fifth level, you know what it is? It's identity. It's who he's made you to be and who God really is to you. It's a huge subject. It's a huge subject. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your head and I want you to just pause right where you are. Don't be too much in a hurry. I want you to allow yourself to think, to ask this question. Could it be true that God has a new way of functioning, of thinking, of behaving, a new environment? Does God have a new way of believing for me? Whether you've been a Christian for a very long time or whether you don't know anything about this God that I'm talking about, there is a, a way of experiencing freedom that comes down to what you believe about him. And he wants to reveal it to you. You are here for a purpose. This is a crossroads in your life. To be here at this service, at this time, to be in this series, there is something that Jesus wants to reveal to you about your identity that you haven't known or you've gotten really distracted or your experience has told you and taught you it's not true. The bruises of the world, the crushing weight of your own guilt, the, the struggle that's going on around you in your family, it's lied to you and told you it's impossible to change. You can change. You can experience change that is truly meaningful. You can have freedom, but it requires that you yield everything, that you believe he is who he says he is, and that you believe that you are who he says you are. What he says about you is that you are loved. What he says about you is you're so valuable that you are worth his son. To come die on a cross and take the place of your death so that he could have relationship with you. Everything is designed to have relationship with you. It's not about pleasing him. It's not about trying to be good enough. It's not about trying to get... Listen, you can't be good enough. That's the problem. And even as a Christian, we get sucked into these cycles. I want you to break out. I want you to let Jesus break you out this week. 
So I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. But if you, this describes you and you need a new level of freedom, new level of change in your life, I just want you to shoot your hand up in the air right now. Just right where you are. No, no embarrassment, no shame. Just boom, do it. Yep, right there. Oh, I've done this before, Pastor Russ. I don't care. Raise your hand right now. You know it. It's a new level of change in your life. It, you need it. Just do it. Just put your hand up in the air. Hands going up all over the room. This is the secret. There is a mystery here that is about to be revealed to you. And it comes through the words of his spirit. That he's not He's not interested in your good behavior. Jesus didn't die for your behavior modification. He died for you, for your sin. So give it all up to him. Everybody in the room, let's pray this prayer. It's not about the words you say, but it is about what you mean in your heart. And so just repeat these words after me. Come on, everybody in the room, just say it out loud. Heavenly Father, forgive me for doing it my own way for trying really hard to be good enough, to serve you enough. Forgive me for doing my own thing and going my own way instead of surrendering to you. Forgive me, Lord, for not believing. Forgive me for trusting another source. I want to trust you. I want to yield to you. Reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. Make me into a new person. Transform my heart. I choose you. I believe in you. Father, I pray that every person that's praying this prayer that you would begin to peel back the layers in their heart, in their mind, in their soul, all their history, all the foolishness, all the activities, all the struggle. Lord, you're breaking it apart right now. And you're loosening all those things deep within their heart. And you're beginning to expose the lies that the enemy has told them, the lies that they've believed. And you're releasing and revealing to them by your spirit, your voice, calling them to yourself. Do that this week. This week, while they're going through their week, Father, would you, would you speak into their hearts? Prepare us for this identity discussion and, and, and a new paradigm of change. We thank you for this. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.